0: The Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Smayer. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams.
1: This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy.
0: Hey, this is Francis Manipal.
1: Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic, comic podcast. everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 140. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me...
0: This is Ed. Go, Germany! This is World Cup Final. This is Stella.
1: And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of June 22nd through July 12th. We have a ridiculous amount of news to talk about. We have five books to cover. Uh, so let's just get straight into the news because, as I said, there's a ton of cover. Criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. All right, so the very first thing we've got to talk about is that on June 30th, DC announced that there are two new titles, well, Batman Universe titles, that are going to be releasing in October. Now, as we already know, um, both Batwing and Birds of Prey were previously canceled, a lot of questions were, well, what are the books that are going to be coming out? Are they going to be Batman-related, or are they going to shift to something else? Well, given the fact that we know that Batman stuff sells pretty well most of the time, um, it was a given that at least one of them would have been a new Bat book. So, the unexpected uh, announcement was that the two titles, uh, the first one is called Arkham Manor, and the second one is called Gotham Academy. Now, the description's... Well, first I'll talk about the creative team. Arkham Manor is written by Gary Duggan and drawn by Sean Crystal. Gotham Academy is written by Becky Cloonan and Brandon Brendan Fletcher and drawn by Carl Herschel. Now, let's talk about uh, the first one first, Arkham Manor. Wayne Manor becomes the new Arkham Asylum and it is rumored that some of the inmates will die in the makeover. That's what they're describing the book as. Very, very interesting. Uh, let's just think about this for a moment. Wayne Manor becomes the new Arkham Asylum.
0: That uh,
2: is, is, uh, yeah, I, I, this is a question that I honestly haven't got an answer to and I am not trying to be sarcastic. Is this an Elseworlds thing or is this continuity?
1: Like, no, it actually is in continuity. Um, it, uh, originally everyone thought that both of these books were going to be you know, out of the continuity, and then it was confirmed that they are both going to be part of the new Fifty Two.
2: Okay. See, at first, I kind of was okay with the Arkham one because I thought, you know, neat little Elseworlds story, little pocket universe thing. But, um, I mean, if Wayne Manor is going to be Arkham Asylum, that's a pretty, pretty big jump. Um, I don't know. It sounds like a something that's different. That's for sure.
0: Dif- yeah. You say different. I say like <laughs> crazy and maybe not a good idea at all. Um, but I mean, someone had to agree to it. So I guess there may be something. I mean, how does that even work? I can kind of see how it's related because I feel like they were really pulling us to see that the canes uh were somehow related to um, Arkham and, and all of that stuff that was going down. But oh, I mean, how can you do that? Put in the... In the, I mean, did Bruce, was he, was it his big idea that, well, if you need a place to go, you can stay here. I mean, to, it's great for him, I guess, that he can watch them. They're right there. But there's going to be so many issues just with his private life and his Batman life being really close to getting revealed. I think this is pretty weird and I don't know if it's going to work out. It also sounds, the fact that it says like some of them are not going to survive almost sounds like it's going to be some sort of, um, like Battle Royale and, and there are going to be fights per issue and, and one person's audit, like it's going to be dead. So by the end of the series, you know, there'll only be a couple of villains left. Who knows?
2: And these Dustin, you probably know are, these aren't limited series, right? Are these ongoing or like six, limited.
1: It says that they're new ongoing series that that was the announcement. Now the thing, here's the thing that I, that I try to understand with Arkham Manor, the, What I'm wondering is if this is spawning out of the events of Batman Eternal in some way, because as we know, in Batman Eternal, Arkham Asylum has some kind of crazy thing going on. Joker's daughters, you know, capturing people and locking them in the basement of Arkham Asylum, and Arkham Asylum has essentially fallen to some sort of force that we are unaware of exactly what it is yet, but there's some sort of spiritual force that the specter has been investigating with batwing we haven't really seen a whole lot of it um they hinted at it in the la- in the last issue uh, issue 14 that uh you know playing up the idea that maybe 15 is going to be dealing with the stuff that's happening but i'm wondering if they have to leave arkham asylum because you know maybe the building gets destroyed in some way or something but it still doesn't explain why of all places they would go To Wayne Manor. Um, As far as the concern of whether or not Bruce would be operating still out of Wayne Manor below all of the criminals, I don't know if that would work out and if that is the case. I mean, one way or the other, I I think it could be an interesting story, but I'm also hesitant because I have no idea how we're getting to this point within continuity other than you know Arkham Asylum gets destroyed and they got to go somewhere but of all the places to go why would they go to Wayne Manor I just don't understand that but it's still a while away it's it's coming out in October um, but then again it might be an ongoing that's only planned to last for so long too um, we haven't seen that very often but it could be an idea where you know the idea is it's going to run to coincide with something that's happening in Batman Eternal, Batman Eternal ends, and then the idea is that it's maybe going to run for 12 issues, 16 issues max, and then you know that'll be the end of it. I have no idea exactly because they're just there's not a ton of news released about this. It's just interesting because it almost feels like if it is spinning out of Eternal, it's the exact same thing they've done in the past with Talon spinning out of Court of Owls and how that didn't end up working out and end up getting canceled too, even though it wasn't initially planned as an ongoing. So I'm thinking that's probably the case. Now let's talk about this other one, Gotham Academy. Mm -hmm. Gotham Academy is set at Gotham City's most prestigious prep school, of which Bruce Wayne is a leading benefactor. That's all there is.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's got to be something that they're trying to like – I know it's not going to be a direct relation, but – since the Gotham thing is going to have this looks like some kind of school thing. And maybe that, or I don't know, but this one of the two, the other one really interests me. This one doesn't really interest me at all.
0: And I'm sort of the, uh, the opposite. Um, you know, when, when, yeah, well, well, you know, when I was first told about this by the betrayer that is known as Donovan, I thought, well, you know, both of these sound super dumb. I don't know how they can continue to go on. Um, and I also thought about this academy. Do you remember a couple years ago? Um, they they showed us some images for like a defunct uh, cartoon series that was going to take place like Gotham High, something like that. And everyone was super de-aged, and like Bruce Wayne was running around. And there was like a Babs. And do you remember that? It just never got off the ground. Do you remember seeing images or anything? Yes, yeah? it's called
1: Gotham High.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so it kind of reminds Boy. me of that. So I thought, well, I guess we're just doing that. You know, I look at this image and I thought to myself, this could actually be fun. And this, tailored with um, another thing that I'm sure we're going to talk about, I think is starting to bring some lighter aspects into the Batman universe. I don't think this book is going to be for everyone. I think that people who want to, like, focus on the serious side is going to want to keep to the serious side. But it sort of reminds me of Wolverine and the X-Men, just the fact that there are X-Men running around and everything, but it's also taking place in the school, and there's, like, kaij and stuff that ensues there as well. So I think this could be a really great way to to bring more readers in and to have it be fun, and I'm super looking forward to it, actually. I think it could be good.
1: I'm, I'm really hesitant on this because, again, we don't know hardly anything about it. Um, I'm almost positive that... Once San Diego rolls around, the comic panels that DC has, the one for Batman, they're probably going to reveal a lot more information about these two new titles. Um, we'll see the solicitations in the, in the next couple of weeks uh, for these two books. But for the most part, there's you just don't know anything. You don't know exactly what it's about. It's about a prep school that Bruce Wayne is the benefactor for. So what exactly is that implying? That because he's a benefactor, somehow he has this prep school that's literally training people to be you know, his soldiers for the future or something. I, I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense as to what this could be. Now, I think I do agree with the idea of it is going to bring a lighter tone, especially with the idea of teenagers. Uh I think that the book is gonna have a much lighter tone compared to a lot of the stuff. And I think I, I I'm looking forward to it for the fact that It's different. It's not the exact same stuff. And one of the things I have to compliment them on when this released, especially with the art, it is very different than the stuff we've seen, um, within the Batman universe since the beginning of the new 52. So it shows that they're, they're, they're attempting to make change. We'll talk more about change in a couple minutes, but,
0: um,
1: (laughs) But the big thing is, I think that they're really trying to do some unique different things instead of just doing the same exact thing over and over again with just newer characters, which is what we've seen with Talon, which is what we've seen with some of the other spin-off series that have happened. So, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm looking forward to the idea of this being some sort of different title that has a completely different tone and can tell unique stories that don't necessarily have to deal directly with Batman. So the next thing we've got is on July 8th, uh, it turns out there's a new creative team coming to a book and the book is Catwoman. Um, it turns out October is going to be the month of changes, which it has, it, it, we've seen this in the past where a lot of the stuff has changed after, you know, the September month where they have all the special issues and special covers and all that stuff. But it really looks like they're shaking up the Batman universe, at least at this point, for, with everything that's been announced for the better. Uh, Catwoman is getting a new creative team. Um, it turns out the writer will be Guinevere Valentine and the artist will be Gary Brown. Ann Ocenti is no longer on the book as of August. Um, but basically, the idea is that it's they're, the stories are going to be spinning directly out of the events of Batman Eternal, which is what we... We're hoping for, which is what we've been asking for, which is what we've really just wanted Catwoman to get better about. Um, specific quotes were, after the dust settles in Batman Eternal, Selina Kyle has discovered she's part of a legacy she never knew before, an heir to the family business. She decides to accept the position, both because she sees a chance to restore a ruined Gotham and because deep down Selina always played power games against herself. Um, at the head of the crime family, it's not so much a matter of if, as a matter of when. That said, the crimes are very different nature than her usual. Some cl- clandestine larceny here and there is very different thing from having so many eyes on you and giving the kinds of orders that makes the underworld run. So I gotta say, um, you know, we don't know exactly what's gonna happen in Batman Eternal with Catwoman, other than she's going to become the massive crime boss of Gotham. But this already sounds great. It, we're getting away from the crap that we've seen in in Anno'sent's run. Uh, I mean, who can forget? Let's have the the re origin of uh, Selina Kyle, basically stealing the. Origin from Batman Returns and the horrific Halle Berry Catwoman movie. Um, there, I mean, there's no, there has hardly been anything good about the Catwoman series. And this was one of the books that we actually kept talking about was probably going to get canceled, but probably wouldn't because of the, the amount of, uh, the amount of the, the role she has in Batman Eternal. So to see her get a new, new, uh, creative team, I'm all for. I'm super glad this is happening.
2: Yep, yep, yep. Listen, the sol- I, I like the solicitation, by the way, and I, I really look forward to it. Um, but to be honest with you, the solicitation, you could have read Catwoman Goes and Buys a Pizza. And after the Ann run, I'd have been happy to read that. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, it sounds interesting. It does sound like it's going to all of a sudden make a lot more sense with Batman Eternal, which I don't think anybody could quite figure out how those were going to line up. So, yeah, I, I used to really love the Catwoman book when uh, Rudy Baker had it back in the day, so I am really looking forward to this.
0: I really like the the cover, and I think that really says it all because once you look at it, I think you really get a sense that this is coming off of Batman Eternal, and I think it's going to take a more serious twist for the character. Um, Perhaps it's always been serious. It's been a while since I've read it, but I think we're also going to take the character seriously, and I love that it's just like changing it up, and, and perhaps we can get back to respecting the character.
1: So the next bit of news is probably, in my opinion, probably the biggest news, but also deals with a new creative team. Gail Simone's off the book. Not only is Gail Simone off the book, uh, but the book is taking a completely different take on Barbara Gordon as of October. Uh, the new creative team is going to see Cameron Stewart, best known for his art on Batman Incorporated, teaming up with Brendan Fletcher, who we already previously talked about, is going to be working with Gotham or Becky Cloonan on Gotham Academy. Uh, they will be teaming up as co-writers, and the artist for the book will be Babs Tarr. Um, she will be penciling, and uh, Cameron Stewart will be helping out with the covers and layouts for the art as well. Uh the team has completely redesigned Barbara Gordon. Uh, she no longer has her Batgirl suit. turns out she's wearing a leather jacket, not spandex. Uh, she has snaps on her cape and on her gloves. Um, she's wearing a pair of uh, what appears to be just, you know, boots, normal boots that you would, work boots that you would see at a store. Um The story will see Barbara move to Gotham's equivalent of uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, a neighborhood called Burnside, which is kind of like the hipster part of town. Here she'll work to establish a new social life. Uh, she'll still be fighting crime. Fletcher said that uh, they look to add elements of Veronica Mars, Girls, and a dash of Sherlock. Uh, supporting cast from Gail Simone's long run on the title will still be appearing, but new characters will be added as well. Um, basically, the idea is, I read through the interviews and... Barbara has some sort of horrible thing happen where everything she owns goes up in flames, including all of her backroll stuff. She moves to the other side of town to completely, you know, uh, basically have like a fresh start and in the process goes to these little vintage boutique stores and buys a number of different things and puts together her new backroll suit. And that's why it looks like it's so not superhero Um, it looks, you know, like a leather jacket and it looks like you could clearly put this together yourself and cosplayers around the world are rejoicing. So gotta say, this is, you know, the news kept getting better. Okay. The two new series, you know, I was interested in them. Catwoman getting new creative team. I'm super thrilled about that. This is probably one of, but Batgirl was probably the creative team change that I have been like, wanting for probably close to a better part of a year at least. Um, and it all cemented in my mind when I interviewed Gail Simone at C2E2 and she was like, what are you talking about? We've explained everything we need to. There's no reason we need to explain anything else. We're just going to continue doing the same crap we've been doing, even though for some reason nobody likes it. And at that point I was pretty convinced that, uh, You know, she needed to get off, but the words that echoed in my mind as she said them were, I could write Barbara forever, and I just thought to myself, oh God, please don't. So, that being said, to have a new creative team coming on the series is great, but the biggest thing about this is not so much about the creative team, it's about the completely different tone of the book. You can just tell by the artwork for the redesigned costume and the artwork for the other thing that this is not going to be the violent... Punch first, ask questions later, Barbara, that we've seen so much over the past two years with Gail Simone. So really, really looking forward to this.
2: Um, I don't yeah, I mean I just it's kinda like, yeah, Dustin, you're right. Um I, I think Gail Simone started okay on the book. I do. Uh and I felt like it was going somewhere not about a year in. Um, right around the time of death of the family. It just went from Something that was interesting and I thought maybe was going somewhere to something that made no sense. But I, I like this. I'm glad we got the creative change. I like the new costume. I know that online people have been giving an ungodly amount of heat to how badly they don't like the, the new costume. Um, but I really like it. I think it's, it's different and... Anything that will get us a change up in that book, I am down for, but I'll stop talking because everyone, everyone wants to hear what Stella has to say about
0: it. <laughs> I, well, I wanted everyone else to go first because I've been talking about it a little bit, you know, on my show and everything. Oh my goodness. I am so happy. I'm so excited. And you know, there's still, there's still hesitancy because with anything that's a change and, and new, you don't know what's going to happen. But it's so ironic because, you know, I just posted episode 81 of the Oracle and I sort of gave my three things that, like, something needs to happen with this book. And these are the three things that probably needs to happen, uh, one or the other. And then this happened. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is DC listening <laughs> to my podcast? You know, I am so – looking at these interviews, it's great to see the creative team recognize that she's been running through so many gambits. Too much. It's, it's just too much and, and really grim and gritty. And, and to know that they recognize that and they're trying to change it and bring it back to a way that it should be just really puts me at ease and, and excites me. Um, the fact I didn't know that part about losing all for possessions and everything. Man, that's great. That's like tabula rasa without, um, having to start over with a brand new number one because this, this isn't restarting. She's going back to grad school, um, which is interesting, of course, because she had, you know, her crazy degrees, which she never used. But I like the fact that we're going to be able to see her uh, potentially as a student and actually have a life. And hopefully this title is actually going to be Batgirl and not, you know, main characters abound. Um Interested to see how those, those minor characters are still gonna continue, but I just love how everything's shaping up and, and I love the look of her right now because You know, her going around and searching for things and putting her own costume together, that is telling me that she is owning it. She is Batgirl. It's not this thing that, like, she got hand-me-downs from Batman or, like, she was following him. She made it. So that is her. And I think that is the authenticity that we really want to see. Um yeah. I mean, I don't know. I could go on forever. But uh, my only concern, my only concern is, you know, she's going back to school, obviously. Um, she looks younger, and I feel like there is going to be a younger swing to it. And uh, it seems like it's going to be more fun. I don't want there to be a Stephanie Brown mold to this and that we're we're using the the Brian Q. Miller um That mold to like fit Babs in because, uh, I think that Babs can be your own person, can go to school and can have fun. Without seeing me like Stephanie Brown, but I think that Brian Kimura got it so right that for for me, I think maybe for some creators, I don't know that they've they've got some stuff to live up to. So that's the, my only worry. There is, um, am I going to be just reading Stephanie Brown, but it looks like Barbara, or is she going to be paving her own path? And is this creative team really going to show us who Barbara Gordon is? But I'm I'm just really excited because it's time to, to put some to, some new. Life into this character, and um, uh, to be like this lighter, lighter character that she needs to be, and and I think this was the book. I mean, I, you know, Gotham Academy may have been the one that broke news first, but I think New Fifty Two came out. I feel like there was some sort of pressure to make all the Bat titles dark. And it was always, it's always going to be that first thing. That first one to break out is going to be the toughest. And I think that now that it's happened, we can probably break up some of that darkness. So I'm so glad that this and then the, the Gotham Academy is out because I think that's going to give a refuge to some people that can't handle that dark stuff and don't want to read that day in, day out. So thank you, DC. You know, I am excited actually for you. Maybe you're turning around and getting back to where you should be.
2: I, was gonna, I just want to, I hope these, I'm be very curious to see what the sales numbers are on this book mm-hmm. after the creative change. Because yeah. Backgirl hovers around 30 to 33,000 a month. Um, and I'd be curious, I'm, I'm be very curious to see what the sales numbers are on these lighter in tone books because yeah. like Harley Quinn is, I don't know if you guys read Harley Quinn, but it's definitely a lighter in tone book. I mean, it's still got a little dark, but it's definitely more of a, a funnier book. Uh, and its sales numbers are sixty-two to sixty-five thousand a month. Wow! Well, yeah, it's 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 up there with like Detective Comics and things like that, and it's lighter in tone. So I think if you see a couple more of these successful lighter in tone series, sales-wise, we might start seeing uh, see more of them.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the title itself, the sales have been dropping. I mean, Backroll used to be yeah. in the top thirty comics for the month, and just in May, which the June numbers aren't complete yet, but in May, the book was all the way down at number 71. So, you're talking, you know, within a year and a half, maybe, since the whole Gail Simone got fired fiasco happened, and there was the outcry for her to come back, Uh, the book went from being in the top 30 books to now being you know, twice as high on the, on the charts as that. Now, Harley Quinn, like you said, um, Harley Quinn in May was, was ranked number 14 with 62,000 issues compared to Batgirl's 31,000. So half as many, but I think a lot of it has to do with, and I think a lot of people would attribute to it. Well, Harley Quinn's a popular character, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Harley Quinn, yes, is a popular character, but really when you stack Harley Quinn against some of the other characters that have lower sales, what's the real reason for that? I mean, for example, in May, Batman Superman number 11 was ranked number 27, had about 8,000 less issues than Harley Quinn. You've got, uh, let's see, you've got Detective Comics was actually lower than Harley Quinn too. Uh, Detective Comics was sitting at number 24 with uh, about 7,000 less issues. Now, I think a lot of it has to do with, it's just, it's a different book. It's the same principle of like, I looked at it like this. When they first announced the Harley Quinn book, I really looked at it like, this is DC's Deadpool book. Now, I don't read Deadpool, but everything I've understood about Marvel producing the Deadpool comic is that it's very zany, it's very outside the box, and it's kind of crazy. But it's, it you know, it can be dark, but it's like fun... Toned dark, if that makes sense, and I think that's what Harley Quinn is, and I think that's why it's doing so well is is because of that. Now let's not forget that uh, this month in July, Harley Quinn, despite the fact that there's only been eight issues released, she's getting her first oversized issue, uh, with the San, uh, Harley Quinn goes to San Diego Comic Con, and then. It also was announced that, uh, there's most likely going to be a annual for Harley Quinn come October, since October is a five week month. But that actually deals into some other news on, uh, July 11th. It was announced through a video from DC All Access that, uh, the next large project that, uh, they're going to be working on is called Harley Quinn Sentacular. That's right. Sentacular. Harley Quinn is going to be getting a scratch-and-sniff book.
0: Oh, I thought it was like scent as in C-E-N-T. Are you serious?
1: Yes. Yeah, They literally said that there's going to be things throughout the book that you can rub with your finger and you can smell different smells. This is the crazy mm-hmm. stuff that mm-hmm. you, you just don't see. I mean, when was the last – when when do we ever see something like this? But like with this Never. book – Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never.
0: Scratch-and-sniff <laughs> <laughs> <Never. laughs>
1: book. Exactly. So that's the thing. Like they're doing stuff outside the box because the book is very popular. And I think it's really smart for them to do this. And I don't know if this Sentacular special will be the annual. If the annual is not actually happening, this this centacular is just going to be a one-off issue that's going to come out. Uh, they did say it's going to be a, a little larger than a normal issue. So it's not just going to be a normal, you know, 20 page issue, but I think it's interesting that they're taking these risks. I think Harley Quinn was really the turning point for them to realize that maybe everything doesn't have to be so dark and dramatic as everything was previously. Um, They really took a risk with this Harley Quinn book, and I think they're starting to see the fruits of their labor starting to mature, and they're realizing, wait, maybe this was a good idea to try to do some things that aren't all the exact same tone.
2: Yeah, because... You know, if you look at at comic sales, obviously me and me and Dustin do this. There's a ton of books that hover in that thirty to thirty five thousand copies range. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, uh, Secret Origins, Wonder Woman. There's just so many of them that, that are right there. And Harley Quinn is one of the few books that isn't in that range. So I'm glad it's working because if its sales had been poor, you know what we would have got more of.
1: All right. So then the uh, the last bit of news we've got is on. Also on July 11th, the solicitations for Batman Eternal for October were released. Uh, I'll go over these now considering the solicitations are probably going to be released in the next two weeks, um, but I'll go over these now so we won't cover them on the next episode. Uh, basically, five weeks for October means five issues of Batman Eternal. 26 through 30 were announced. Artists attached to the issues is 26. RM Guerra... 27 is Javier Guarin, Garin, uh, 28 is Megan Hetrick, who we remember was, uh, attached to the Nightwing number 30 issue before they redid it. Um, 29 has Simon Colby, and number 30 has Fernando Pacerin, who has been currently working on Batgirl. So, um, it really seems based off of the actual solicitations for each issue that we're going to be seeing some of the stuff happening in Arkham Asylum with the specter. Um, a lot of the, it also seems like Catwoman is the point where everything's going to be pointing to her taking over everything. And uh, the first one says martial law is imposed in Gotham city. Then the next two issues talk about Catwoman, you know, basically, getting control of the criminal underground. And then the next issue is can Batman stop Catwoman? Um, so it it really looks like, and then the last issue, number 30 says Deacon Black, uh, the last time Deacon Blackfire took control of Gotham city, Batman nearly died. How will the city fare now that he wields unspeakable power? So we've got Deacon Blackfire coming up. So, I mean, not a whole lot of, I mean, you, you, you can only take some of the stuff with a, uh, with a grain of salt when it comes to solicitations. But uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is that it's a whole new set of artists. I mean, outside of uh, Megan Hetrick and Fernando Pessarin who have worked on books before all these other ones that at least what I remember, I don't think I've seen any of these other ones attached to any of the other bat books. So it's it, in some ways it's, I wish that, there would be some artists that were attached to these books that were ongoing. It seems like they're just get not at, at this point, it just seems like besides Fabic and Dustin Wen, there's not really any normal ones. Uh, we, we've seen issues recently with, uh, by Mikel Jannon and, uh, Trevor McCarthy, but they're all going to be attached to their own titles. So they're not coming back. So it just seems like. We're starting to get all these, you know, one-off artists for each individual issue, which I'm not a huge fan of, but, you know, the story technically with what's happening in Eternal, the story is really carrying everything for that series. All right, so with that, that is all the news. Uh, I promised you a lot, and there was a lot, so if you weren't paying attention to the website throughout the last couple weeks, be sure to check out the website for the next couple weeks because Comic-Con is actually right around the corner. Stella and Don are both going to be at Comic-Con covering stuff for the Batman Universe. So be sure to watch the website for all the news. I'm sure there will be some more news related to some of the bad books leading up to Comic-Con, but also the stuff that, you know, comes out of Comic-Con as well. So be sure to be checking out the thebatmanuniverse.net at all times over the next couple of weeks. With that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And our first book is Batman number 32. And what about getting back into the plane? I'd recommend a good travel agent. Without it landing. Now that's more like it, Mr.
2: Wayne. Batman number 32, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. This story opens up on Bruce Wayne approaching a man sitting on the sidewalk and telling him that he may need a new butler, uh, but there's only one thing he'll need his new butler to do. Uh, the main action is then on Batman, Gordon, Fox, and the military task force as they are shown breaking into the Riddler's hideout, uh, the location of that we were able to gain from the uh, performance in last month's issue. Um, the tunnels that lead to the hideout are all filled with small boxes with question marks painted on them, and Fox believes these devices are things that Enigma is using to reroute the uh, the signals throughout the city. Uh, the military team lets Gordon know that they intend to launch an airstrike as soon as they can confirm that this is, in fact, where uh, where the Riddler is. Um, Batman realizes that it is all the trap and is confronted by one of Riddler's robots uh, with a video screen, a little Skype call there with the Riddler on it, uh, where Riddler taunts Batman. Um, Batman tries to warn the team, but his communications have been cut off. Uh, while this is all going on, we see that Fox has also been... You know, and start in one of Riddler's traps. Um, but before any harm can come from him, we see uh, Batman come hurtling in and uh, riding a Riddler drone uh, to save him. Um, Fox tells him that the boxes where Gordon and his men are in, are in fact uh, explosives, and that when they call in the airstrike, it will cause the detonation of the boxes and will sink uh, the whole city, killing everybody that's in it. Uh, Fox and Batman look over the data again, and he thinks they spot a problem and a possible location to where the, Ridd- the Riddler may actually be hiding. Batman takes a chance, says they have about 40 minutes to the city sinks. And he arrives at the Sphinx in the museum uh, and walks up to it and demands to know if he was right. And if so, the Riddler must show himself. Riddler does come out and tells him that he was right. Batman demands that he you know, gives this up before millions of people die. The Riddler tells him that the game is just beginning and a flood of uh, laser lights and a little Riddler techno scene breaks out. And uh, next issue, we have the finale of Zero Year. All right, everyone. Um, I guess my first question is, comparing this new story, this new origin story to, to previous origin stories, this is the first one, non-New 52, from, like, you know, year one, that has Lucius Fox as a, as a major part of Batman's origin story. Um, do you guys think that he, you know, should be, have this kind of, a part in the origin story
1: i don't have a whole lot of thoughts on whether or not he should be part of the origin story i think that in some ways i guess to make him part of the origin story great but it really doesn't feel like at this point really doesn't even feel like it's an actual origin story it really just feels like this is his first mission um you know he's he's already batman we really just went from him you know getting to the point of being Batman to he's now Batman and now we are at the point where he's dealing with his really his first major event within the confines of Gotham city. Um, the fact that the city is, you know, cordoned off from everybody outside and the fact that we have, you know, we have Batman or well, we have uh, Riddler who has created, you know, used poison ivy's thing to, create all of this vegetation all over the city and there's no electricity and there's no network and all of this, it's, I don't know. It just feels like it's part of, it's, it's not really his origin story anymore. And that's what I guess doesn't make a lot of sense when it's, since it's still part of the zero year, other than maybe it's just Batman becoming Batman and then dealing with this first real conflict
0: um, I, I like that. I mean, think about the whole cast of characters that have already been helping Batman out in this. And I think because Lucius is such uh an important, um, keg in that works, um, maybe the right word, cog. Thank you. Cog in that works. Keg. Um, I, <laughs> sorry, Germany, you know, I rooted for Germany. Um, that that I think it's important that he he plays a part and and why not bring him in early on to show that he was a part of it um, earlier than you may have thought and, and that way they build that relationship onwards and there's a reason why Bruce would go to Lucius um to ask for help so I like it you know obviously it's different so uh, I I think that they're they're still you know doing right by him
2: yeah I kind of like it and I and it, I just had thought about it when I was reading the issue that this was the first time that I had seen Lucius as part of early, early Batman because he was always brought in, you know, later. He really was brought in later in reality, but um, it was kind of interesting to see him kind of along for the ride from the beginning. Um, I do like it. And I think it helps update him, update the, the the origin. I get it. I agree with Dustin's comments. Like this isn't a hundred percent origin story. Um, at least this part of it's not. Um, so this is a, this is a different take on it, but I do like the, uh, up the update with Lucius in it, um, more than I thought I would after I started thinking about it. And then the other thing, I guess, is we've been reading Zero Year for what a year now after the uh, the Batman internal bump. So next month, we finally have the conclusion to this huge story. And has anyone got some predictions on how they think this story is going to wrap up or what they're looking to see come out of the last issue?
1: You know, I guess my my hope is that it. I don't, it's hard to say because like the thing is, I don't really have any hopes of, of, you know, what to see. I I mean, obviously the Riddler's is going to be taken down. Batman's going to stand victorious because this is taking place in the past. Um Now if, I'd like to see some kind of twist where maybe the Riddler has some sort of contingency because it seems like every way they turn, there's some sort of contingency that Batman didn't necessarily see coming. So to have him outsmart the Riddler, because of just pure luck would be kind of a bad way to end this story. But I think honestly, and this is, this is my own opinion though, you know, I don't really have any super high hopes. I'm just kind of glad it's over. And it's sad to say, because I mean, like the art's been great. The story's been good, but like, it just feels like this has been going on for way too long, way, way too long. I just, I'd love to just be able to get back to, shorter stories that, you know, are just as good, but do not have to take a year to tell, because that's the problem that I feel like we, that, that I've been dealing with over the last, uh, probably five months. Um, it just feels like this, this entire story has been going on for way too long. And, uh, I don't really, I don't really feel like whatever happens in the next issue is really going to make me feel like the last 12 months, Was really worth it. And, you know, I, I, I say that, you know, with hesitancy because I, I think that the last issue will be good, but I just don't feel like we're going to get some sort of payoff at the, in the very last issue that's going to be, oh my God, I'm so glad that I've been reading this for the last 12 months. So.
0: Um, I, yeah, I don't know if I have any predictions, really. Um, I feel like something's going to happen to the Riddler. Like, it seems like he is dead. Uh, but then the very last page, you'll see that he's really not. But obviously, Batman's got to overcome whatever is going on right now. Um, and wouldn't it be funny if this... This story just, like, transitions to another, like, five-year-before story. Uh, because, you know, I'm kind of more interested to see how did they transition out of this world to the one that we know currently. Um, so, I, I, it really has. I mean, I basically resubmit everything that Dustin said because I, I don't even know what the first issue was like and how long this has been going on. It, it really has dragged on, which... Um, I I am happy that it's over but I guess we'll be in store we'll we'll be waiting for another super long story coming up
2: I also don't really have a clear I mean all the kind of things that needed to happen in the story have already happened from the things you heard Snyder talk about Um, I've also really really enjoyed the story and uh, I see I, I guess I'm the only guy that although it was and it was long I mean there's no doubt it's a year long but I don't feel like it was overly long really because I still really feel like although it's a 12 part story it's broken up into three completely different books you know I mean it, I think the way it's collected in trade it does feel like it's three different stories with an over overarching story so um I, I don't think it's it's too long to be honest with you I mean it, maybe one or two issues shorter but I've really enjoyed it Um and I guess I'm just looking forward to seeing a conclusion where I don't think that he'll catch the Riddler, I think that he'll, he'll get away because there's, there's no reason to catch him here and we can probably go back into how he catches him again some other time. So, that's all I got for this one.
1: Alright, so, Batman number 32. I am going to give a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs.
2: I am going to give it four out of five Batarangs.
0: Three out of five Batarangs.
1: And over on the website, Corbin Poole gave the issue four out of five batterings, so that's going to give Batman number 32 a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics number 33. I was closing in when this loud noise tipped them. It
2: must have been Batman. Detective Comics number 33, Icarus part four. Manapool and Boucheletto Storytellers. Um, This issue opens up with the melee that we were on in the middle of the last issue. Uh, The GCPD shows up on the scene and decides to attempt to arrest Batman while they're breaking up the fight. Uh, Batman uses some smoke to make his escape. And when the smoke clears, the police only have their thugs in their sights, and he has escaped. The action goes back to Mr. Bullock, who is using some... um, advanced interrogation techniques, I guess you could put it, to get some information from Mr. Lester from Wayne Enterprises. He finally gives him the name of Congressman Sam Young. Um, with some help from Maggie back in the lab, they pinpoint the abandoned Kane power plant as a possible base of operations. Uh, back with Batman, who is investigating a location on the outskirts of Gotham City that is being guarded by a few men, inside, inside they find crates and are able to link the logos on the jackets of the men to the Kings of the Sun, a uh, biker gang from Louisiana. Besides large amounts of narcotics, they also have amassed a lot of information about Annette, uh, from, uh, the, who was killed. Uh, we then see Elena, uh, being presented with her mother's killer by our, our friend here, the leader of the Kings of the Sun. Uh, and then back to the Bat Cave, we see that Bruce, uh, makes the same deduction as Bullock that the base of operations is the old Cain power plant. Um, back to Annie, and we see that the gang has tied up her mother's killer, and offers her a weapon as well as a chance to get revenge. Uh, the leader of the Kings of the Sun, our, our friend with the uh, with the mustache here, reveals uh, to Annie that she, he is her father, uh, and that he had a relationship with with her mother. Um, both Bullock and Batman arrive at the old cane plant, and they confront each other. Batman is still upset with Harvey about his old partner Spencer. And the the circumstances around his death, uh, and they begin to, uh, to fight each other. Um, at this point, our pink, uh, the the pink glowing friend of ours from a few issues ago kind of starts uh, wandering in on the scene. And as Harvey and Batman really begin to fight each other, uh, the radioactive man explodes in the background. And then next month will be the finale of Icarus. Uh, there's two really big things in this issue that I think that probably the most obvious to talk about is, we see Harvey and Batman at the end fighting with some some real animosity against each other. And is this how we like to see Harvey and Batman? Is is this level of animosity too much? A uh, right amount? Um, and, and is this the kind of the way we want to see their relationship, or we like to see them wrote a little differently?
1: You know, it, it's kind of odd because we have this happening in this this book. Um, they're playing into the idea that this is happening the exact same time as Batman Eternal. That's why Batman's dealing with Harvey and not Gordon. But then we see in Eternal happening at around the exact same time that Bullock is, you know, has no problem siding with uh, Jason Bard to, you know, get this plan of stopping. Forbes from doing what he's doing and and basically Bart is working with Batman so in turn Bullock is still working with Batman despite the fact that he's not really wanting to work with him in and at any other point that being said i think that the characterization of them um it i think for the most part i mean I, batman's fine the the relationship between batman and bullock i mean it's never really been super great so it's not like they're doing anything different here but I think that uh, the fact that they're exploring the reason why Batman might have problems with Bullock, uh, potentially why Bullock has problems with Batman, I think that is an interesting thing. And I got to say, I, I was looking forward to them revealing a little bit more about the partner that Bullock had that is now, you know, dead. Um, I'd love to see more about that. I'm hoping that that gets revealed at some point in the next issue if not it's something that carries on going forward in the next story arc in the book.
0: No, it's just a bummer because I feel like there are these there's glimmers of, of hope for these two characters. Um and obviously tensions are super high because of what's gone on with with Jim and and Eternal and everything. But I feel like maybe they would be able to find some sort of commonality uh, apart from Jim Uh, in order to get past the stuff that's going on and also move towards helping Jim out. But that is not happening. Um, I get, I mean, you know, it's similar to the animated series, which we've seen, but this is a different book. And I want to like this book because he seems so very capable and I like how he's being portrayed here. So to see him and Batman against odds is very different. Um, It's interesting. Maybe it's just like an alpha dog sort of situation where Bulk is finally stepping up into his own and he believes that he just needs to rely on himself for everything because he's really taking control and telling people what they need to do and everything and really acting as a commanding officer. And Batman sort of steps in the way of that because his presence is really alerting him that – You know, he's saying that I'm not good enough, and the police isn't good enough at their job. So I can definitely see why it's like that. I I wish that they could get back together, but perhaps these are just two characters that are always going to butt heads. They may come to some sort of um, tacit peace, but I don't think there's ever going to be like a buddy buddy. It's never going to be Jim Gordon or anything. So I think this may be just what we've got to get used to.
2: Yeah, and I think too that you know Dustin makes a does make a good point about the eternal timeline, but I, I think that sometimes that there's just no way for them to keep all the stuff straight with, with so many storylines going on with the same character. Um, that being said, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is ever going to be a buddy cop with, uh, with Batman and Bullock, but I do think the level here is, you know, it, it's at a 10, but, but I think this maybe is the confrontation that we need for these two characters to have. Um, maybe after they, they give each other a good beating, um, they can just get to the point where they can work together. They don't have to be buddies, but, Work together on, 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 some basic level. Um, I do think it's funny that part of the animosity that Harvey has in the story actually extends to Bruce Wayne. So, even though he doesn't know Bruce Wayne is Batman, uh, I think he's just got a problem with this guy in general. Um, so that's, that was only my, my thought there. And then, the other thing is about the plot of Icarus, which is, we, we find out here that, you know, the, the, the leader of the Kings of the Sun is in fact Annie's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's supposed to be the big, the big shocking reveal here. Do you have any thoughts on that plot point? You know,
1: I don't really have any, like, immediate thoughts other than I think that uh, Annie is going to be a character that's going to be used down the line in Manipule and Buccioletto's uh run i think that's part of the reason why they're building up this character the fact that she's now going to be put in this position where her father is a bad guy her mom was basically trying to help people she's she, it's that split situation where now her mom's dead her mom was killed by the very crime that her dad is is basically involved in so it's setting up the character to be something not necessarily to be another sidekick to Add to Batman's, uh, you know, Bat family, but I think that they're setting that character up to be something. Um, I think the reveal is kind of interesting because it shows how split she's going to be. I mean, immediately her mom's murdered, and you know, that's all she all she's concerned about is finding the person who killed her mother, and that's her obsession. And you know it's it's up to basically the situation or the events that are going to take place in in next month's issue to really lead us up to believe whether or not she you know she's going to side on she's going to take take the high road and you know decide that maybe everything that her mother was trying to do was was good and you know she needs to try to take that same route or she needs to side with her father. So I mean she could go either way. She could either become somebody good or she becomes somebody bad. It's really set up real perfectly for us not to know exactly what's going to happen other than, you know, if she's going to be good, she's going to have to, you know, tell her father, no, I can't kill this person. And that's going to be pretty much the sign right away. But I think it's kind of interesting the way they've set up the character, at least to go forward, because I'm convinced that she is probably going to be used outside of just this one story arc.
0: And I hope she is because I think she shows a lot of potential as a character and she's very, she's very similar to, I think, Bruce. And, uh, I mean, that was his dedication, like just finding out, not, I guess he was younger, but I feel like that really is, is a thread that starts from Bruce and goes through all of the Robins, you know, just wondering who killed the parent and everything. And now she finds this out, which I think it's, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see what happens in this, because right now she's very much in shock, but, you know, she's finding out this guy that she's never even met before, kind of on the right, wrong side of the tracks compared to, you know, how um her mother was portrayed in the couple issues, that, or I guess just one issue that she was in. And, um, yeah, I don't know if she's really going to be tempted by the dark side, but, but I think that uh, because she's going through such a loss, you're at your, your most vulnerable then. So I I think it, it could be good. You know, wouldn't that be interesting to see if she were a sort of sidekick to, to Batman? But I don't Dustin, would you prefer her or Harper <laughs> Rowe as a sidekick? <laughs> Which one do you like better right now, Dustin? Way it down straight.
1: Okay, let's lay it down straight. Harper Row, we already know, is going to become a sidekick, so there's no real point of hypothesizing which one would be better. But, uh, um, I mean, like, I, I don't... I think the distinct difference between Harper Rowe and Annie is that Harper Rowe was used occasionally over the long course of a time, and then all of a sudden she's going... She's a very prominent character right off the bat. It's That's a very different approach to... The character is involved in a storyline over an extended amount of time. I mean, this issue, this, this run has been going on for a couple months now. If they keep running with her as just the supporting character within the story arc, it's fine. The difference between Harper Rowe and her is that Harper Rowe popped up in one story, was missing for nine months, popped up in another story, missing again for a long time pops up in one other story. I mean the the amount of appearances she's had leading up to really her 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 focus that we've been seeing in Batman Eternal there hasn't actually been that much. So the few times that we did see her it was like wow, this character is moving like bam, we're we're jettisoning this character towards something. Here you you're seeing the events of this character take place. And yes, I'm fully aware that everyone believes that I despise Harper Row. I think that Batman Eternal is probably the best way to flesh out the character because that's part of the reason I was not a fan of the character leading up to Batman Eternal was because the character was not fleshed out well enough. It was just thrown at us and like, here, this is a character who saves Batman. Hey, this is a character who comes up with some tech thing hey, this is a character who's suddenly going to be thrown into the mix of everything during the uh, Robin Requiem. That was a very important moment that was at least, a, you know, it was marketed as an important moment for the Bat family and trying to show how the characters are of the Bat family were dealing with the death of Damian Wayne. And the problem is that I felt like her being thrown into that mix where she does not deserve to be focused on, that's what pissed me off. And that's what made me really despise that character was because here we have a character who, you know, she's appeared, I believe it was like two or three times previous to her appearance in the Robin Requiem. Now, I don't necessarily have a problem with her because they're actually fleshing out the character and making you know more about the character instead of just, here, we're going to throw one issue at you every, you know, once a year. And then suddenly we're going to throw her into this thing that's, we're saying is so important. So there's a difference there. And I hope that I'm not the only one who can see the difference. I like Harper.
2: Yeah, I, I do agree with what everyone's saying though. I think that the Annie character is one that is going to be around for a while. I think that everything is kind of put here to support her. I mean, if you look at the characters we've seen introduced in this, which will end up being a five issue run for, for Icarus is her mother is introduced, but killed, which is really a supporting character for her. Our bad guy ends up being her father, which in turn becomes a supporting character for her. Um, so yeah, I, I think that what we're what we're being doing, doing done here is we're building Annie's universe, and that she's going to be. I, I don't I don't know if we're going to see her with a costume per se, but I think she's going to be a part of of the world of Detective Comics underneath our two current storytellers until uh, until their run is out. And that's all I got.
1: All right, so Detective Comics number thirty three. I'm going to give a total four out of five bad rings.
2: I am gonna give it four out of five as well.
0: I give it a three out of five again.
1: Alright, and over on the website, Corbin Poole, give it four and a half out of five betterings. That's gonna give Detective Comics number thirty three a total of four out of five betterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number twelve. You know something.
0: Batman Eternal number 12, The Good Man. Story, Scott Snyder and James Tynion IV. Script, James Tynion IV. Consulting writers, Ray Fox and John Layman and Tim Seeley. Artists, Mikil Yijanen. Colorist, Jeremy Cox. Three nights ago in Gotham City, Falcone has a group of men bust in and kill a group of penguins men, saying that he is the face of justice in Gotham City. Now... Jason Bart explains in a creepy basement with a Dustin-like wall that has pictures connected by strings that, did you get it, that Penguin has retaliated with the gang war and, uh, wait, has retaliated and the gang war is getting worse. It is time to end it. Maggie Sawyer and Bullock are with him, impressed by his work and research, and Bart has an idea about Commissioner Forbes. Later at Blackgate Penitentiary, Gordon is being led to a police transport with one of the guards saying his sister is in the station, and he hopes Gordon fries. The other guard who is with Gordon in the transport is Batman, and Gordon picks him out right away because he is more attentive than the guard he is pretending to be. Batman is more optimistic than Jim is but Jim knows there isn't any evidence to clear him yet and basically says que sera, sera, whatever will be will be. Batman knows someone wanted Gordon out of the picture but Gordon tells him not to worry about him and focus on the city. At Gotham General Hospital... Dustin's favorite character, Harper, talks to her comatose brother about their absentee father and then proceeds to hack into Red Robin's feed, just as Red Robin himself uh, finds Professor Pig. He zaps Pig and then zaps the link, which leads to Harper's computer, and he's pretty freaked out about it. Meanwhile, somewhere in Brazil, is trying to take down Red Hood, who explains Batman was worried. This gets Batgirl even more upset because Batman trusted Red Hood of all people, and even though she's been working longer than Todd, she will She will always be second-rate to Batman. She will not be stopped in trying to clear her father's name, and she only has a few days before the trial begins. She kind of asks for Todd's help, and he is going to be sure that she does it right. At Gotham District Court, the opening arguments are given, which are pretty damning for Gordon. Outside the court, Vicki Vale, after seeing Lois Lane outside, decides that everyone is working on the Gordon story and no one is working on the gang war, the real story of injustice. Jason Bott appears suddenly and enlists Vale in his plan. Later at Wayne Manor, Alfred and Julia continue to discuss his new life. Julia bemoans the fact that he has taken a step down from the medical and theatrical work that he had done in the past when Tim rushes in rambling about Harper. They make up some lame excuse to excuse themselves from Julia and go to the cave. Tim wants to know everything about Harper. Later, on the roof of the Beacon Tower, Bullock gets nostalgic talking about the golden days after zero year, would you believe, and how Gordon called Batman when he needed him. Ironic, since things got bad with Penguin and Falcone then, too. Batman appears and Jason says he can end the gang war, but all Batman has to do is get caught. At Blackgate, Gordon is woken up in the middle of the night by a guard who says Gordon Zorbatos has decided to make an exception due to his need to prepare for the trial and has allowed visiting hours at this strange hour. Gordon doesn't believe it, and the guard sucker punches him, then drags him through a door where none other than... Know, James Jr. is waiting. And it's funny because for some odd reason, his father goes, James Jr. is that you? Who caused her son like that? Next, the faces of... Justice. You know the problem with doing back to back to back issues of Eternal is that, like, you know it has happened, so then it, you know, limits the amount of questions you can ask. These questions are pretty um, Bab-centric. The first one is what? Well, I'm sorry. Well, you know, uh, the first thing is this appearance of Jim, uh, James Jr., I think is pretty important. And what do you think the repercussions are going to be on the future of Gordon and the future of Gordon's relationship with Babs? Well, slash backroll
1: roll. I was actually hoping that you would ask something like this.
0: Oh, um, okay.
1: So – Here's, here's my thoughts on that. Um, so obviously with the, in the extreme friction that we've seen in the pages of Batgirl between Gordon and Batgirl and, you know, leading, you know, essentially kind of seeping into their personal life of Barbara and Gordon as well. We see this was like the, the main thing that like hinged everything on their, the reaction was the fact that he was, Pissed at Batgirl for killing his son. Mm-hmm. You know she was upset about the fact that she killed her brother. I'm waiting for the situation where we find. You know Gordon tells that. You know I was actually thinking about this and putting this all together in my head and thinking to myself, maybe Barbara goes and sees Gordon at the. Uh, you know at jail or something like that, and he says, "Listen, you'll never guess what I what, what happened. James Jr. is still alive." And maybe that's like completely changes her outlook on life, which then leads to the new creative team in October. Um, because realistically, I mean, she would never be the character that she is right now in the pages of Batgirl if it wasn't for that situation with her brother. Right. She just wouldn't. So the fact that we've all known for like, well, it's been over a year at this point. We've all known that James Jr. is not actually dead. that He's part of the suicide squad you know and we we've been li- like reading this lie of how she's dealing with the fact that this happened even though we all know that it didn't actually happen
0: mm-hmm. the way she
1: thinks it did i mean it just something has to happen here so i'm thinking that the relationship between gordon and barbara is going to get better because i think once that you know that underlying problem which has been you know ex- that has existed for so long which is that Gordon believed that Backroll was the one who killed his son. Now that that's done, there's no reason for Gordon to be upset with Baccarol. There's no reason for Baccarol to really be upset with Gordon other than that, uh, you know, shoot first, ask questions later situation with Ricky, mm. um, which we can forget with the new creative team. Um, so, I mean, I think that for the most part, I think that there's a lot of things that could really be good for this. And it, it's, it. <sighs> I'm glad to see it, but at the same time, I don't know how introducing James Jr. into the mix now is really going to really affect things. I mean, we know that Gordon doesn't actually leave the jail, but based off of the next couple issues, but at the same time, it's just, I, I am really looking forward to the fact that, you know, once this is all said and done with Gordon getting out, you know, things can be it can go back to being a, a real family situation between Barbara and himself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was about to say that the biggest thing this was for me is then when, when especially, and especially because it's funny because the way your thoughts kind of change on something like when I first saw this, I thought it was, you know, just inevitable that eventually he would find out that James Jr. was alive. But then remember, it was after we read this issue where we found out about the Backgirl creative team a couple of weeks later. So that I was really glad to see because. When the new creative team takes over, they're not going to have to go through and find some excuse to make you know, Jim Gordon and Barbara be able to get along again or, or Batgirl get along again. So they've kind of cleaned the slate up for the new creative team, and, and I kind of hope that when we, we get the new Batgirl creative team, we just kind of leave all this kind of in the past and just kind of move forward. Um, I think that that would be the best way to handle it. Um, But I, I do think this is going to be a good thing for the Batgirl character because we're no longer going to have this 10,000-pound uh, chain. Around their relationship.
0: Yeah, I really agree. When I saw him, I was super shocked, especially this, because I wasn't expecting that. Whatsoever. And, uh, I thought, well, thank goodness, because I think after, obviously, Gordon has a lot more to worry about than worrying, than thinking to himself, oh man, all that stuff I put back girl through. But once Mm -hmm. this is all done, I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be that weight that is lifted. And it's funny because in the pages of Birds of Prey right now, Birds of Prey went to go rescue this one guy and the suicide squad popped up and the one member missing was James jr. And I thought to myself, Oh, is he going to show up? Cause that would be great. Um, so the, the bad thing will be, I mean, she's still guilty about it. The bad thing will be if like Amanda Waller pops up and tells Jim Gordon, I know that your son visited, but you cannot say anything about it. And then Gordon can try to bridge the, you know the the gap between them, but Backrow may still be guilty about it all. But I am also hopeful that this is a great new direction for it, and that they can get back to to where they were. And whew, hopefully, she'll be without a care in the world when her new book arrives on issue thirty five. Uh, next question is again uh, Backer centric, but Babs and Jason they're still in Brazil. I mean, what? What do you think about this team-up? Do you think that they really – is it believable that they're going to be able to find evidence that clears Jim? Do you think that they're going to be the ones to find it and not Batman? I mean just overall about this this partnership and and going out because I don't really want to talk about her emo moment because that was a
1: bit much. Well, I think that – When you think about the character and how she's been portrayed in her own series, the team-up between those two probably makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. The fact that she makes the comment about, you know, of all the people, why are you here to stop me? The fact that he's there to stop her because she's gone off the rails proves, and and really to her, she should think to herself, holy crap, if Batman's sending this guy who's always off the rails to stop me, how far really am I off the rails? And that's the thing, like, she needs to, like put two and two together and realize that hmm, maybe I'm not necessarily making complete sense of all of this. So I think it makes sense, but I don't think she's reached that point. I think it's going to take her some time. I think he's there just to kind of like be an escort. You know, I'm here to make sure that nothing really crazy happens, but that's about it. I think I I don't, I, I mean, I don't really see them like teaming up, Long term, I see once she gets a hold of her senses, then that that's going to be the end of, you know, them together.
0: Do you think they're going to clear Gordon's name? Or are they going to be the ones to find the evidence needed?
1: Honestly, I don't think they will be. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Barbara has too much emotional attachment to all of this. And, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of, you know, she's trying to prove that her dad's innocent. But, she, but you know, wasn't it not that long ago that her dad you know, shot Ricky and Mm -hmm. she was all pissed off at her dad. And, you know, it's kind of like a different character in a way where you're sitting here thinking yourself, wait, she didn't want to have anything to do with her dad because her dad did that. But now she's trying to prove that her dad isn't possible of doing something like that. So, I mean, part of it, it, it's, it's kind of upsetting because you kind of have to sit here and think to yourself, okay, maybe the stuff that's happening in some of these stories isn't playing into what's happening in Batman Eternal. But then you have to also think at the same time, some of this stuff has to be leaking into Batman Eternal in some way because the characters, you know, for the most part, are being portrayed exactly the way they are being portrayed in their own series. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, do I feel like she's going to be the one who clears him? No. I don't think that he's gonna be the, they're gonna be, either one of them are gonna be the one that clears him. It's probably gonna be something outside the box that clears him, but I don't think it's anytime soon. And I think, you know, the two of them being teamed up is, they're being kinda of thrown off and saying, okay, we're gonna go do this. No one really expects them to actually find anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I hate to say this, but we haven't really seen Barbara being the greatest detective since the beginning of the new 52, so. Yeah,
2: I I don't know. I I think that they're they're playing with the Jason Bard Barbara Gordon thing just because of of, of the past history, and I think they're just having a little fun with it. But I don't think that, and it's and again, So it's,
0: you I'm, said Jason Bard. Do you mean Jason Todd or do you mean Jason Jason Bard?
2: Todd? Sorry. Okay. Oh, sorry, my bad. Did I say Bard?
0: You did, and I just <sighs> want to clarify since he is a character. So
2: yeah, that would be. They'd get done reading it and then think I'd lost my mind. That's right what I was about to say. Um, I think they're just having them to – just for the fun of having Red Hood and, and, and Batgirl together. I don't think there's – I think with, with Batman Eternal, there's, there's always this – you know, you have this many characters together. I think that writers always want to play with putting their favorite characters together, you know, and kind of having a mix match. So I think that's all that we'll see. I like it. I don't dislike it at all because mm-hmm. I like Red Hood a lot as a character um, and having him with Barbara is interesting. But I don't think that they're going to be where the big uh, unveil comes from.
0: I think it's interesting considering uh, Countdown, uh, that 52-issue series that only about – I've discovered a few more people. We should make some sort of society. But uh, originally I thought I was the only person. So I think maybe there are like five people that have read that entire thing. Um because he he had kind of this outsider's team with him. It wasn't really outsiders, but like Donna Troy and Kyle Rayner was there. And there was an Adam there and everything. And I really started to like uh, Todd there and just his misadventures. And I was actually shipping him and and Donna Troy. And that would be really weird, I think, to ship. Jason and Barbara, but I like the fact that it is just this really mismatched team, I think, because even though they are a member of the Bat family, those two aren't necessarily people that you would see together. It was always Dick and Babs um, or Dick and Tim or, you know, so, so this is very different and already, you know, Todd is, I think, and I say Todd, I know that's his last name. So already Todd knows some de- skill detective this because he came in and told her like, you didn't even do the groundwork because it was easy to find out that this guy was in a drug rehabilitation clinic and things like that. So he, he, I think he might be this weird like compass for her, um, to tell her you need to calm down. You're not thinking straight. Um, just like Dustin said, she's emotionally, uh connected to this case and, and getting Jim cleared and I think since Jason is a step away from that, he's able to help her out. Um it it would be awesome I think if she were able to clear her father's name. But I don't know if D C writers are gonna be that sympathetic. But just to think about I mean I just read the killing joke and, and to think that she was in her hospital bed uh and she's crying Perhaps mixed with what had just happened to her, which was a travesty. But she's also crying because she's saying, like, I saw the look in Joker's eyes. He took my dad. I don't know what he's going to do to him. Like, only thinking about her father. And to think about that relationship, um, it would just be great. I mean, that's, you know, she's not going about it the best way right now in the New 52. But... That's the loving Babs that that I like to think still exists. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can hope. So, hopefully he gets cleared. Wouldn't that be terrible if they kill Jim Gordon off? But that's or all I have. Know. Yes, he is, but, oh, well, he, we have to get to issue 14, I guess. Yeah. That is all I have.
1: All right, so Batman Eternal number 12, I'm going to give 3.5 out of 5
2: betterings. I'm going to give this one 3 out of 5.
0: I actually really like this one. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5.
1: All right, so Batman Eternal number 12 gets a total of 3.5 out of 5 betterings. Let's move into our next book. Batman Eternal number 13. In spite of the fire, I had everything under control. And then Batman showed up and bundled everything. Batman Eternal number 13, written by James the fourth, art by Mikel Janin and Guillermo Artego. The issue starts off right where we last left off in the last issue with James Gordon Jr. talking to James Gordon in the uh, lock cell. James Jr. proceeds to tell his dad that, you know, I, I knew all along that you might have something inside of you. You know, you, you've always considered Blackgate a necessary hell. And the reality is that I believe that a piece of me, how evil I am, is, is in you. It's okay. It's all right. I'm going to... Make sure that you can get out of here. Um, yes, I'm still alive. I've snuck out of Bell Reeve and, uh, for the night. And, uh, by the way, I've paid off all the guards and tomorrow at 2.46 a.m., there's going to be a way for you to get out. Uh, at the GCPD headquarters, we see Jason Bard pitching his plan with Bullock, uh, to, uh, Commissioner Forbes and saying, this is we're going to get Batman once and for all at the offices of Gotham Gazette. We see Vicki Vale approaching her editor. Her editor is telling her, you know, this gang war thing is a joke. Uh, you need to stay on the Gordon trial. She says, no, but uh, the police, I'm going to go on a ride along with the police because they're going to capture Batman. He says, well, they better because if they don't, I'm going to be pretty ticked because I need something to brag to Perry White about. We see Vicki Vale leave the office, and she talks to Joey, the photographer, and he says that there's somebody spitting out a ton, ton of stuff on a gossip forum, a local gossip forum talking about Cluemaster having some massive plat, plot that's going to unfold in the city. She dismisses and says, I don't want to deal with it. I don't have time to deal with a second-rate Riddler knockoff. Um, I've got stuff, more important stuff going on. Across town at the library, we see Stephanie uh, basically reading through some of the comments that she left about the plot. Everyone's saying that Clue Master's a joke. She's complaining about the fact that, uh, her dad is a joke and why did her dad have to be one of the crap villains? Uh, she then gets, uh, IM from one of her friends. Uh, she calls them and or she calls her friend and her friend says, uh, what are you doing? A box shirt up here that was addressed to you and it's orange and blue. Stephanie says, no, don't touch it. Don't do, don't doing anything with it. And she says, well, now you've got me really interested. Uh, what is it? And, uh, or, it, and it, she says it's a horse that's orange and blue and it has something ticking underneath that's counting down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Kaboom. Her friend blows up. Yeah. Stephanie runs out of the library.
0: It was a Trojan horse, by the way.
1: We then cut to a, the, back to Gordon and James Jr. Per, proceeding with a lot of the stuff that I've already mentioned. Uh, Gotham City. We see the GCPD mounting up to capture Batman. Batman comes in. He jumps into a building. The police are all set up. They burst into the building. Say GCPD. They find a bunch of Falcone's men with weapons and money, and they start arresting them. Um, as they're doing this, uh, the, Bard is saying the entire time that this is that must, they must all be working with Batman, so arrest them all. Um, somebody calls Falcone to warn him. Uh, he in turn gets taken out by Bard and, and, uh, Bard says to Falcone over the phone, the city doesn't belong to you anymore. We then see all these people getting loaded up, Batman coming out of the shadows and Bard saying it's, it's not over yet. And Batman says, but I'm still impressed with your plan. Back at GCPD, all of these, uh, men are being taken in. Forbes is pretty pissed. He's saying, you need to let these men go. You need to let these men go. Uh, and he says, but they're all guilty of possession of illegal firearms. And they were, and a lot of them were, had narcotics on them. And Forbes says, I don't give a rat's rear end to which Vicky Vale says, really? Oh, can I quote you on that? Because uh, uh, I have no problem getting that to press right away. Forbes is kind of stuck in a position where he can't do anything about it. And uh, we then cut to Red Robin's hideout where it appears that Harper Rowe has broken in. Uh Red Robin comes in, talks to his computer, figures out that he has to go find the person who created the nanobots, um, who happened to be one of Batman's old mentors. He's in Tokyo, Japan, so he's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to get going, then we're going to go to Japan. When I get back, we're going to deal with Harper-Rowe. Find her now. Um, we then see James Jr. telling Gordon that uh the door will be open the next day, but uh he'll have to deal with court all day long to understand how bad it really is then he'll be able to escape we see Falcone talking to Jack Forbes about how everything's up and you know up in smoke Meanwhile we have uh, Vicky Vale and Jason Bard on the roof of GcPD uh, listening to the entire conversation Vicky Vale is going to write up an article about it. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of town, Steph approaches the building that has, or her friend's house that is completely up in flames, and we see that her father is watching on from a camera and says it's so much easier than trying to stop her because she's going to come right to us. And that is the end of the issue. All right, so number 13. So uh, th- there's a lot of stuff going on now. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is... The difference in, in format, uh, what we saw in a lot of the first, probably the first 10 issues for the most part, is we saw a lot of issues dealing with certain characters. And it seems like every time James Tinian comes onto the book to actually write the actual story and script for the, for the book, we see a lot of the characters being dealt with at once. We see a lot of the different point of views, we see a lot of intermoving pieces, and we see like it's basically like catch up time for the overview of a lot of the different events. I wanted to know if either one of you noticed that or how you feel about having so many characters in one issue compared to the other format of just focusing on one group or set of characters in one
2: issue. Ooh, this is a dicey one. Okay. Um, I had not particularly noticed that it was James Tynion who was doing these more, rounded issues. That makes sense because from what I understand, I think he was involved more in in kind of mapping it out, him and and, and Snyder. Um, I I prefer the issues like this. Um, I don't like it when we go large chunks of time and we don't see what's going on with characters in a weekly story like this. I mean, it's been at least a month since we have saw the Spectre and Batwing show up at Arkham. It's been a while since we've seen some of the characters uh, in here. Um, so I, I like this when we tie them all together, as long as it doesn't become like too much of going point to point to point, like, okay, this is what these guys are doing. These are what these guys are doing. And these are what these guys are doing. Uh, but this issue I think does a good way of, of bringing a bunch of different characters and, and strands together and forming a good cohesive uh, storyline with a bunch of different points.
0: Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And I felt like these three issues, 12, 13, 14, for the first time, had some sort of continuity for me, and I, I wasn't thrown off by, oh my goodness, here's yet another group that we're introducing, or what happened to the last issue. So I was actually really happy to to see these and, and to make sense of everything going on, and, and, and I think that given what Jason Bart is planning, it needed to be this way, because I think that just, like, figuring out, well, ending the way it did with him and Batman and then not going directly to that would have been terrible. So I think it just shows the importance of the planet and the gang war and taking that down and everything. But for once, I just felt like, oh, relief. I understand what's going on.
1: Yeah. In my personal opinion, I think that these issues, teen's issues seem to be, more focused on the event as a whole compared to specific characters like, and that's not to say that the other issues are bad by any means, but like, we were told initially that, you know, some of the writers that were being attached to the book, Ray Fox was going to be dealing with a lot of the supernatural elements of the story. Tim Seeley was going to be dealing with certain elements as well. So to have these, you know, kind of these breaks where we're getting a lot of the different moving pieces to combine and to, to interact. I think that this is the way to go. Um, if you've been reading futures End, this is kind of the way, at least in my opinion, that this, the entire series has been running where they're dealing with all of the characters in every issue. Um, now Batman eternal, I think in my opinion has a, a lot more characters that they're dealing with when it comes to the entire story than futures end. But I think that, Future Zen was doing this real good thing where they were progressing each character's story every single issue. Batman Eternal, we we've we've discussed this. I, I think it was just last episode, if not multiple times before that. We were, we talked about the fact that you know a lot of these characters you can go. A long time without hearing anything about them uh, I mean we still haven't seen anything dealing with Spectre or Batwing for quite some time uh, even though it's hinted at the end of number 14 that he's that the next issue 15 is going to be dealing with that but it's just I think that this is the right way to go my other thing that I want to talk about is kind of the conversation between James jr. and Gordon the fact that James jr. says you know Blackgate is a necessary evil uh, he's quoting Gordon multiple, you know, from multiple different times. The fact that Gordon, the way that, that, that James Jr. is, is basically viewing Gordon's outlook on everything is that Gotham is a place that cannot be saved. And James Jr. believes that Gordon finally got pushed over the edge and, you know, that's, and he's convinced that this is, this is the way it is. Um, the fact that he's going to let his dad escape. I mean, obviously, if Gordon did escape, it would show that James Jr. was correct and Gordon has gone off the rails. But what did you think of that, that, that conversation about, you know, the fact that, you know, how bad it really is in Gotham, how somebody like Gordon could just be, you know, keep doing the good fight?
2: It's, um it's tough because you have to look at I think if it was a any character that wasn't as established as much as Jim Gordon was that I would feel differently about it I mean I, I think the idea is you know that the good people do go bad I think that's something we've seen happen a lot over time but I don't think that it would ever be Jim Gordon because I mean if he's had so much stuff go go bad that I don't know if, if this day would be the one that would have finally pushed him over the edge.
0: What? <laughs> I just read The Killing Joke. And so it's it's weird, right? Because Joker and The Killing Joke wanted to show that anyone could be pushed over the edge. If Jim Gordon could be pushed over the edge, you know, just from one bad day. So it's, it's very interesting. Um You know, more unsettling than that is the fact that James Jr. says like – is practically implying that I got my crazy gene from you, Dad, and you know, like it was already, it was always there. Like you kind of had this this little bit inside of you, just with that whole speech about um G- Gordon recognizing the necessary evil of black and things like that. So, a p- pretty unsettling, I would say, that that entire conversation. And I mean, Gordon can be as stalwart as. As we hope he is and, and the look on his face and everything, but I feel like it really did get to him. Um, because, I mean, it's coming from, from truth, right? So he can feel as much as he wants and, and everything, but whew, it's, uh, is he close to the breaking point? I don't know. I mean, he's been, he's been doing okay considering everything. Um, he's not very optimistic and, and he feels like he, he deserves whatever he gets, but I don't think he's going to, I don't know. Snap. Um, I, I think he's gonna continue to fight him because, continue to fight because Gordon I think is just one of those really upright guys. I mean, he's very much the onion knight of this entire story. <laughs> I yeah. love the onion knight. He, he is though, if you think about it, just the guy that really sticks true to his beliefs and, and tries to be as honorable as possible and, and protect others and everything and, and no matter what is, I think, raging against him, he's gonna stay true to that, so. Those are my thoughts on Jim Gordon.
2: And there's no way too, Stella brings up a really good point here that if, if Gordon doesn't break during the events of the killing joke, that this Thank is gonna be, if, if this is gonna goodness. be what's gonna break him.
1: So, Batman Eternal number 13, I'm gonna give a total of 4 out of 5 bat I'm
2: gonna give this one 3.5 out of 5.
0: And I'll second Ed and give it a 3.5 out of 5.
1: And over on the website, Corbin Poole gave the issue four and a half out of five batterings, so it's going to give Batman Eternal number thirteen a total of three and a half out of five betterings. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal number fourteen. Batman Eternal number fourteen, written by James Taney and the fourth, art by Jason Fabok. Uh the issue starts off with uh at Arkham Asylum, Scarecrow is running, talking about the fact that he's trying to broadcast some sort of message through the signal, but they're after him. Some hands reach through the wall, grab him, and that's the end of it. He screams. We cut to Penguin at a shady motel where he's being told that uh, he doesn't want to touch anything because it's disgusting. He says, I'm worth a ton of money, and I can't do anything about it because of the situation that we're in. Um, Penguin then goes into this big, long speech about Rex Calabrese And how he was a crime boss, but he was convinced that everything, everything was, everything moved by the natural order. He was called the lion, but eventually the lion, uh, the top lion, the alpha lion is going to be taken out by someone younger who, you know, can do more. Um, while Penguin's saying this, he takes his thumbs and jabs it into his henchman's throat, digging through his throat and killing him. Um, and then he says he did the exact same thing to, uh, Carmen Falcone was the guy who took out Rex Calabrese, but it was Penguin who took out Carmen Falcone and it's not about, he's not about to let Carmen Falcone take Gotham back. He then gets a phone call saying that they know exactly where Falcone is. Uh, we then see at City Hall, Jason bard telling the mayor that he needs to tell us exactly what's going on and uh, Falcone's plans because if he doesn't then he's going to make sure that he gets prosecuted in every way possible. A Penitentiary, uh Gordon's contemplating everything that's uh that James Jr. said. We have uh Gordon's cellmate approach and say, "Listen, uh just because you're in here doesn't mean it's the end of the world. You might actually be innocent." do you really believe that you will be able to do that? At Carmine Falcone's hideouts, we see him talking to somebody. When we hear a knock-knock, he goes out and finds all of his his guards dead. Uh, we see Falcone spurting some stuff about the fact that uh, Penguin has doesn't ever get his hands dirty. We then see Penguin pop out in what appears to be his outfit from Batman Returns, his his gray jumpsuit, and he says, no, I left the boys at home this time and... I'm going to take, I'm going to finish this once and for all. We then see him shoot his umbrella, uh, knife pops out, stabs Carmine Falcone, making him drop the gun, he's bleeding all over the place, uh, Penguin dra- grabs out the blade, is about to stab him, when all of a sudden the police burst in with Vicky Vale, they get some pictures and announce that both of them are under arrest. At Blackgate Penitentiary at 2.46 in the morning, Gordon leaves the, his jail cell, goes to the exit, and then wait, Batman approaches, and he says, my son, he's alive. He came here and said that the the door would be open. I uh, wanted to make sure that I locked the door so that nobody else could get out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, then we see Batman talking about the fact that, uh, you know, he's going to, we're gonna figure out something you know you're not necess- you know there's you're not necessarily guilty we just have to find something and gordon says listen if you had proof that i wasn't guilty and that i was forced to do this you would have been able to put it in front of a judge at this point but the realistic thing is i made a mistake because i'm i'm pushing myself and i i'm getting old i can't run across rooftops like we be- did back in zero years or zero year then uh he says he, he he then goes on to talk about the fact that, uh, Rex Calabrese and the lion and how Falcone took out that, and that's the way it goes. Uh, as he heads back to his cell, he says, um, the kid, uh, Bard, he's the one who got him all right. And he's, and Batman says yes, and he says, well, that's the natural order. Maybe it's time you found a new partner, or maybe you've already found him. We then, uh, cut to the Pacific Ocean where, Tim Drake is flying over, which is a little odd because Tim Drake is what appears to be flying the Batwing despite the fact the last issue said he was taking a Wayne Enterprises flight to Tokyo. Um, he's on an airplane and he's trying to calculate how much gas he has left to get back because it looks like he's going to, he feels like he needs to get back to, he needs to get back to Gotham sooner rather than later because of all the stuff that just happened, with the mayor and the commissioner and Carmen Falcone and Penguin. Um, he runs a diagnostic check and finds out that there's two passengers, finds out that Harper Rose on board at the GCPD roof. Batman meets up with, meets up with Jason Bard and says, uh, listen, you, you, you had a great plan. You could be an excellent ally. And, uh, Jason Bard says, that's all I ever wanted was to be an ally puts out his hand and Batman says the problem is that you're the one who tipped penguin off to go to get Falcone, and there's uh 12 men who lost their lives because penguin went there. Um, Batman says er, and then and Bard says well they weren't we weren't able to trace the call of who made the call. He says I know who made the call it was you. It's the phone in your pocket that made the call. Bard then says This city is changing, Batman, and whatever I do, I'm doing it to make it a better, safer place. I want to make it, I want to make that happen with you, but if you're not going to trust me, that's not going to stop me from doing what is right, what I know is right, even if that crosses a line that you or Gordon never would have. Like it or not, this is our city now. We're going to have to learn to fight for it together. As he turns around, we find out that Batman is gone. Uh, at Arkham Asylum, Scarecrow is, uh, on a board with uh, an axe to, or with a hand around his throat. The hand appears to be the Joker's daughter. She says that her daddy told her that she needs to take out the Scarecrow. Next, Helen Arkham breaks loose. All right. So again, uh, kind of going off of my last review of the, the last issue, we see again, um, a lot of things taking place. This is another James Tynion issue. Um, but Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is Jason Bard's plan. Uh, the fact that, you know, we see more of his plan, the fact that he's really ending the gang war by taking in the two crime kingpins in Gotham, the heads of the two gangs that are at war, Carmen Falcone and Penguin. Do you think that Batman had a point when he said, you know, listen, you cost t- 12 men their lives, was that the best idea? And Bard says, "Listen, there's things that you got to do to get things to happen that you know are make this place safer. Do you agree or disagree with Jason Bard's statement?"
2: Well, listen, I, it's not like he got twelve random innocent strangers killed either. Let's face it, the people that that got killed were all probably were all criminals and were probably guilty of murder at some point by working for for Falcone. That being said, I mean. Did he go too far? I can see where Batman gets upset about it, but I don't. I mean, I, I don't think he went too far. His intention wasn't to, to have the Penguin kill him. His intention was to get the Penguin and Carmine Falcone in the same room. Um, I, I don't think Bard intended for twelve people to die. I think that was the unfortunate side effect. Um, so no, I, I really don't think he was. It was. It was over the edge. I can certainly understand why. Why. Why Batman is upset about it, but at the end of the day, when you're dealing, when you're when you have someone like Forbes, who had such a a death grip on on the whole police department, and this was causing way more damage, I think that that Bard was maybe the lesser of two evils here.
0: Oh my goodness, when that whole thing happened, I have to say, I was pretty shocked. Um, And I've liked to think that that Bard was really carrying on in Gordon's footsteps and becoming this great character and someone that you could really appreciate and respect and everything. But once those words were tumbling out of his mouth, I had uh, I started to get really hot and sweat. And I I was thinking that, oh, my gosh, is this is he the bad guy of the story? I think, you know, there are people that stick to their guns no matter what. And I think Gordon is that person that um, he wants to do things by the book. And then there are people that are just down and dirty like Forbes. And then you've got Jason Bard in the center of this who has a decent perspective of um, what he thinks needs to be done. Um, But there may be some dirty ways to do it and it's interesting that Batman is a little aghast at this as well because Batman's not on Jim Gordon's side of that. He's kind of in the middle as well because he'll take people and use them to get the bigger fish and everything. Um, Is he correct? Is that the question or just like what I think about? Because I I was like, oh, no, what's going on? Um, Is he right or not? You know, it seems like we're in really bad times right now in Gotham. And do desperate times call for these dire measures that he needs to take? I'm kind of of two minds. Like, in my happy heart, I want to see Bard be this upstanding character that I've known him to be in pre-new 52. And I feel like he should be very similar to Gordon. So I don't think it's right for what the – I wish it were – if it were any other character, I'd be like, yes, that's basically what you got to do. You know, like very much a Harvey Dent or, or something like that. Just you got to do this kind of thing to, to get the job done. But uh for Jason Bart, I, I wish it didn't have to come to that.
1: Well, okay. Well, putting aside the fact that this character exists pre-New 52, oh. I think – I'm just saying like putting that aside because obviously they're trying to do something different with the character here. And I think what's – the thing that I – appreciate is the fact that he understands that stuff has to be pushed. Did he intend for those people to die? No, not he probably, I'm sure he didn't, but the fact that they did die, he doesn't necessarily feel bad about it. And that's what I think Batman's trying to point out is the fact that there are 12 people who died because of a decision that he made. If it was Gordon who did something like that, Gordon would feel really bad about it. Bard, on the other hand, does not feel bad about it because crime is crime and that's it. He doesn't have, you know, this, okay, well, these people, they weren't, you know, as important, so they probably shouldn't have been able to die. He's not thinking of it like that. He's thinking of it as black and white. Batman, most of the time, is thinking of things in the, in, you know, like you both said, kind of in that gray area. Sometimes you have to use the smaller people to get to the bigger people. That's just how it goes. But Bard's pointing out that, you know, in desperate times, you have to do desperate things and that's just what happened what he did he did what he needed to do to make sure that this horrible thing that was engulfing Gotham City is was it was taken care of he not only took out the corruption within the the police station or the police department he didn't he took out the two crime bosses he got a number of Carmine Falcone's men off the street i mean he did a really good job of wrapping this all up was it the best idea Maybe, maybe not. I mean, Batman's, it appears at least what Bat, by what Batman's saying is that there could have been a better plan, but then again, Batman didn't come up with the plan in the first place. So that says something about Bard too. So I think that that's important to note. My next thing that I want to talk about is Gordon. Okay, so we see Gordon leaving his jail cell and then going to the exit. And then when Batman approaches him, he says... I was just coming to make sure that the door is locked so nobody else gets out. Nobody else has their jail cell open. So how can anybody else get out? So did anybody think of, think to themselves, wait, Gordon is actually going to leave and this is it. He's, he is, he's realized that maybe this is his, maybe he is a little bit on the side of, you know, bad and maybe that is why he did what he did and he's trying to escape. And then it was Batman's presence that actually stopped him from going anywhere because that's how I felt it was because I just feel see it just seems odd to me that if you were told hey your cell door is going to be open there's no guards that are going to be around and this other door is going to be open so you can escape I've made it happen all I got to do is get out you leave your cell to go go make sure the door's locked you don't think that the guard who eventually comes back is going to then you know check the door to make sure it's locked. I mean, I something about that didn't feel right to me.
2: So what you're asking is if Batman's not there does Jim Gordon walk out the door, right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> um ooh, you know, it's funny because when I was reading that, um my initial thought is no, he he's I thought he was going to have one of those moments where he walked. I didn't I didn't foresee Batman being there. I thought he was going to walk down there almost leave and then turn back around and go to his cell. Um, I think that that's what you're, you're, you're seeing here is, is is someone who is thinking about it but wouldn't go through with it. And then, then Batman just there is to help us have a voice to, to make Jim Gordon talk. Um, but it's, you know, I, I, and my thing is I just can't imagine that, and even if he was going to leave, I don't think he was leaving because I think he's turning into a bad guy. Uh, if he leaves, I think he would do it because he thinks he could go find the answers on his own or something like that. But I just can't imagine a world where Gordon goes straight villain. But if you're asking me point blank, was he going to walk through that door if Batman didn't show up? I don't buy the reason he was going to go lock it. I think it's possibly would have turned around. But, yeah, I think he was maybe going to walk out that door.
0: My, my question is, how did Batman even know to show up right then and right there? He's Batman. Mm, well, I know, I know, I don't I know that's I know. it's a little much. Um, such a plot device. It's like unless, the- of
1: course, Batman did sh- was just watching, and when Gordon went towards the door, he then approached him.
0: Or
2: he's got surveillance and knew that the door was unlocked because of.
0: So does that mean he knows James Jr.'s alive? Oh, he'd have to, right?
1: Oh, I would assume he would. Yeah. but. <laughs> You know, that, then that doesn't prove anything. Be, okay, well, it, it depends, because the thing is, if his, if, if, if Batman knows that James Jr. is alive, why wouldn't he have told Gordon at some other point? Especially since, wasn't it, you know, didn't we see Gordon punch Batman in the face because of this mm-hmm. situation with, uh, you know, Batgirl killing his, his son? So, I don't know that, Gor- that uh, Batman probably did s- definitively know that uh, James Jr. is still alive. The fact that James Jr. has been locked up in Bell Reeve as part of the Suicide Squad leads me to believe that maybe Batman probably doesn't know everything that's going on in the DC Universe at all times. So maybe he didn't know, but uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with Ed. I actually think it would have been better had they left Batman out because I think putting him in there casts doubt on who who gordon is and i feel like he would have walked down there stood in that doorway for a little bit and turned around and went back um but but after that then i'm like oh my goodness was he actually gonna go so yeah um but i was i was just shocked that he left the cell i mean just stay in the cell gordon stay in the cell that's what i wanted him to do
1: well so, and i think the other part of it is the fact that he not only says oh i just you know he makes up some reason about it. he's coming to lock the door but then he goes into this this discussion with batman about you know the natural order of things and he says you know maybe you, you need to find a new partner and maybe you've already found one because i i'm not i'm you know i'm getting old i can't do all the stuff that i used to do and it's just making me think like has he really gotten to this point where he literally thinks that he he's not the person anymore he can't be this person that he once was, so he's going to be somebody different. I think like the 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 presence of Batman casts an enormous amount of doubt on what Gordon's intentions were there. All right, so Batman Eternal number fourteen, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings.
2: Three and a half out of five.
0: Three and a half
1: out of five. All right, and over on the website, Corbin Pool gave it four out of five batterings, so it's going to give Batman Eternal number fourteen a total of three and a half. Out of five, Batranks. That is all of our books. Let's go over some of the other reviews that are over on the website. Uh, first up, uh, Derek Bone gave the, uh, the Batman, the Jiro Kawata Batmanga number one digital release, the first chapter. He gave it a total of four out of five batarangs, so check out that. That's definitely outside the box of some of the normal stuff we've seen. Um, and then uh Corbin Poole flooded the site again with a bunch of reviews for all of the other Batman books that have released in the last couple of weeks. Uh Catwoman number thirty two, he gave one and a half out of five batterings. Batman Superman number twelve got four out of five batterings. Batwing number thirty-three got three and a half out of five batterings. Batgirl, number 33, got zero out of five Batarangs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Birds of Prey, number 33, one and a half out of five batterings. Mm-hmm. World's Finest, number 25, two out of five batterings. And last but not least, Grayson, number one, he gave five out of five batterings, Which leads me into a small little discussion point. So we're going to talk about uh, Grayson, number one, very briefly. Um, we talked about whether or not we would actually cover this issue um, here on the podcast, and for the time being, especially with all the issues with Batman Eternal, we're specifically sticking to the Batman specific books and leaving the allies on their own as reviews on the websites or or on other podcasts that we have on the website. I do want to talk about Grayson number one though, specifically because I mean, when I first uh, saw Corbin's review and he gave it five out of five, I was kind of blown away by the idea that we went from. Nightwing number 30 that was done by the sa- almost the same creative team as Grayson number 1 how he we went from so horrible to so good. So I picked up Grayson number 1, read it and I got to say, you know, outside of the idea of Dick Grayson not being Nightwing anymore, I think by itself the issue is actually pretty good. Um it definitely reminded me a lot of the James Bond mission impossible esque stuff that we see so often in, in a lot of the spy movies that we see. Um, I think there was a lot of cool elements with it. I really enjoyed the art. I thought the art was much better than some of the art that was in number 30, but that's because Mikel Jannon did all of the art compared to just some of the art. Um, but I think the story itself was written real well. I think the idea of, uh, at the end of the issue, grace, uh, Dick Dick uh, transmits some sort of message to Mr. Malone, which we would assume would be Matches Malone, mm-hmm. which we would then...
0: A.K.A. Bruce Wayne. Yep.
1: So, I think that's kind of cool, the fact that he's doing that. Uh, the idea that Spiral is trying to find out the identities of superheroes and, in fact, that they've already discovered that Batman's secret identity is Bruce Wayne as depicted on one of the last pages of the issue. I mean... This series, I mean, it's definitely very, very different from what we saw in Nightwing number 30. So I just wanted to get your guys' quick thoughts on the book as well.
2: I really, really like it. Again, I don't necessarily like how we got to it. I get the same setup that, you know, Perfect World, I like Nightwing, blah, 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 blah. But that being said, the book is different, and it's fun. It's well-wrote. I like the art team. Did a really, really good job on the art. Um, I'm really liking this so far. So, again, I was... I was looking forward to it. I read Nightwing number 30 and wasn't looking forward to it as much. And then I read this one, and I liked this a lot. Yeah.
0: It was better than I thought it was going to be. I tell you that much right now. I do have to say that the beginning seemed like a movie I saw, namely Skyfall, Uh where there's a battle, you know, on a train, and then James gets shot, and then he falls. Um, Yeah, you know, a lot, maybe a little too much cliche spy stuff happening, like – I, uh, the blonde wig kind of bothered me a little bit, to be honest. Uh, and, and just, you know, this attractive female, it was like strangers on a train, and then dumping it, and then everything. My main is so it was better. These are like nitpicks, but these, you know, it was better than I thought it was gonna be. My main issue is just that I love like, giving me an explanation as to how all this came about. And I feel like we were dropped in like issue three or four because he's already up and running with this place. There's already a mission. We don't know any backstory of the mission. We don't know about his hypnose power or anything about that. So that's my main problem is just like coming in and I've got more questions than really, and you know, anything is solved. And of course adding some sex appeal there, which you know, could do that, of course, but that's just me. So, uh, just because I, I don't really want those two characters to get together. But yeah, I mean, it's bet, you know, I think everyone should, should give it a try. It is better than Nightwing 30. I will agree there. Um, but, you know, it leaves some to be desired. Hopefully it'll be better. It's just a number one.
1: All right. And then just a, just a couple other reviews that, uh, were part of our DCU spotlight. Uh, Courtroom Poole also reviewed all of these books as well. Uh Just League number 31, 4 out of 5 betterings. Uh New Suicide Squad number 1, which was the relaunch of Suicide Squad, he gave 2 out of 5 betterings. And the New 52 Futures End number 10, he gave 3 out of 5 betterings. Alright, so that is all of the reviews we have over on the website. Be sure to check out all the reviews. Most of those reviews are being posted within, you know, before the weekend after they release on Wednesday. So be sure to check out all those on the website in addition to that also be sure to check out all the news related to movies tv merchandise video game and of course the comics as well as well as editorials for various different sections also be sure to follow us on facebook youtube and twitter for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer, including back with the Oracle, Mm -hmm. the bat fans taking flight, Robin, everyone loves the Drake podcasts and the commentaries, which are all posting new episodes throughout the month. In addition to that, San Diego comic-con, as I said, is right around the corner. So be sure to lock your browser to the Batman universe. for all the latest news related to, the Batman universe as we get all of the news and report it as it happens from comic-con. Anyway, keep your eyes peeled to the Batman for all the news from San Diego. Uh, with that, that is everything for this episode. I do want to throw out just one more time. Although I say it every time we are still looking for news writers for the website in relation to movies, TV, merchandise, and video games. We do have someone reporting. We do have uh, Mr. Terry Houston reporting the news for comics, but we do have uh, plenty of openings for all those other sections on the website as far as news, so if you're interested in posting news for any of those, as well as if you want to give Corbin a, uh, a hand with some of the reviews that he's covering. Um, I mean, he's cranking out probably about six to seven reviews a week when it comes to some of these some certain weeks. Uh, if you'd like to give him a hand and you have certain books that you're interested in reviewing, be sure to email us um, or to click on the We Want You for the Batman Universe banner at the top of the page and you'll be directed exactly what we're looking for and how to get in contact with us. That being said, leave any comments that you have for this episode on the comment section of the episode and we will discuss those on the next episode. With that being said, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin.
0: Zed. And this is Stella.
1: You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks.
0: You need to come closer to the mic. <laughs> oh,
2: oh, sorry, I, had it, I didn't realize I had it off. I, <laughs>
0: I heard you, but it was like super far away. Um, it makes me sad. What? <laughs> I thought it'd be funny if I just, I mean that answers your question, you know? Okay. Um. What's going
1: on? <laughs> you learn. <laughs> yeah exactly BLR.
0: oh wait 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 I found it are you ready
1: I think I said I was ready okay I just wanted to, batman uh, eternal number 12 um well here's here's a here's a bit of piece of information oh yeah uh Skyfall is not the only spy story that that has ever happened to it happens all the time
0: well you know that's the most recent I was waiting for Adele to come out and start singing but unfortunately yeah we we may make scratch and sniff, but we have yet to make audio sampled uh, comic books. But I feel like it's on the horizon.
1: Uh, as far as interviews go, so be sure to lock your browser. To- <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying just, that.
0: I don't know. What, is
2: it, what the hell does that lock your browser? I mean, that sounds like I'm trying to keep my kid off my computer. I don't know, I don't
1: know
0: why. <laughs> like favorite bookmark bookmark here.
1: homepage just homepage
2: yeah, set your browser's homepage to the batman universe. yeah I guess
1: oh. have a nice day